Hey guys, welcome back to episode 9 of the Mysterious Vedic Society Read Aloud podcast. So today we're going to read chapter 11, but in the last episode we read chapter 10, where the children got to the Learning Institute for the Very Enlightened, and they got settled in. Um, but, I mean, this place is really weird, like they suspected. Even the people are weird, but they know they have to get to top class to be able to find out what these messages are about and how they're sent. Um... They were walking around the grounds, and Sticky fell into a wad a drape weed, um, some kind of plant that looks like a vine. So we'll have to see what that's about. Chapter eleven: Traps and Nonsense. Kate and Constance were two steps behind Sticky when he fell through the drape weed. If he'd been the least bit farther away, there would have been no saving him. Nor would Sticky have stood a chance had it been any other child lunging to grab him. As it was, with a desperate dive onto her belly, Kate barely managed to snatch Sticky's hand before it disappeared. Their troubles were far from over. Kate's dive to the ground had sent Constance tumbling over her shoulders. In a flash, she caught the girl's ankle before she, too, disappeared. But then the weight of her two catches began to drag Kate forward, to- forward into the hole. Um, Rennie, Kate called through gritted teeth. A little help? Rennie rushed over and grabbed Kate's legs. Hauling Sticky and Constance to safety was an arduous, tricky business, and an unpleasant one, too, as Constance complained the whole time of Sticky's elbow and her ribs. But eventually, Rennie and Kate had dragged them back up onto solid ground, where all four now lay on their backs, looking up at the sky and panting from the exertion. "'Apparently, drapeweed isn't perfectly harmless after all,' Constance said. Sticky didn't look at her. He, didn't wa- he wanted to be irritated, but found that he was so relieved to be alive he could only smile." In fact, it appears carnivorous, Kate said. Before long, they were all chuckling. The danger was past, and somehow the excitement had helped them shed a little of their anxiety. Glancing at one another with satisfied smiles, as if to say, We did it, didn't we? Together, we did it! They rose and dusted themselves off. They gathered near the hole in the drapeweed, though not too near, and tried to peer in. All they could see was darkness and trailing tendrils, and even these were solely being covered up. The flexible stems and shoots thrust aside by Sticky's fall were stiffening and spreading back into place. Like a footprint in springy grass, the hole would soon disappear entirely. Kate crawled to the edge of the hole, pushing aside some tendrils and her shone her light down to the darkness. It's a pit, twenty feet deep. She glanced back at Sticky. Deep enough to break your legs. Sticky wiped his forehead. Thanks for the grab, Kate. I do like my legs. I would thank you too, said Constance, except I wouldn't have fallen into that hole if you hadn't dived, so my thank you and your apology cancel out. Kate laughed. Whatever, Constance. As long as I don't have to apologize, I suppose. The children stood by the drapeweed for some time, pondering their discovery. No one could think of any good reason for it to be there. Why had someone gone to the trouble of covering that dangerous hole? There's only one answer I can think of, Rennie said at last. A trap? Kate said. Rennie nodded. Oh, goody, Constance said. Now there's traps, too. But why is it here, Sticky wondered. What is it for? Kate snorted. Really, Sticky? You amaze me. A trap is for catching things. Or people. Sticky didn't answer. He was tiptoeing back to the path, careful of every step. The children made it to their rooms almost exactly when the executives were supposed to come for them. It was probably a bad idea to keep executives waiting, Sticky had said. But it was they, not the executives, who waited. When half an hour had passed with no sign of Jilson, Constance suddenly sang out. Now we have waited for 30 consecutive minutes to see some old dirty executive. 
30 long minutes I could have been sleeping, but she doesn't find her appointments worth keeping. Kate was startled. What are you, a cuckoo clock? Cut out. Cut it out. She might be right outside the door. Josephine was, in fact, right outside the door. But to Kate's relief, she entered with no more than her previous bossiness. No hint of indignation. The walls and doors must be very solid, Kate reflected. It would be difficult to eavesdrop through them. This would be the children's advantage when they had secret discussions. But it would also make spying on others more difficult. A fact that irritated Kate, though not nearly as much as when Jelson said, Hurry up now, squirts. I can't wait on you all day. Kate bit her tongue. We are ready. You'd better be, said Jelson. Then her face clouded. Hey, why isn't your television on? Is it broken? We, uh, we just turned it off now, Kate lied. Why would you do that? Kate blinked. Because we were leaving the room? Oh, Jelson said again, considering. Finally, she grunted. Well, whatever, float your boats. They joined Jackson and the boys in the corridor. The executives had a sheet of paper with them now that listed the children's names. After checking to be sure each child was accounted for, they still didn't bother with handshakes. They began the institute tour. After a quick pass through the dormitory, nothing but student quarters and bathrooms, they walked outside, where Jilson told them they were free to roam anywhere they wished, so as long as they kept to the paths. Too dangerous off the paths, she said. The island's covered with abandoned mine shafts. The children exchanged glances. They're from the early days when Mr. Curtin built the institute, Jilson explained. Before Mr. Curtin bought the island, people said there was nothing here but rocks. Well, they didn't know what kind of rocks. Turned out the whole island was rich in precious materials. Mr. Curtin knew this. He built the Blair Bridge, bought in mining equipment and workers, a whole colony of workers. Their dormitory was the first building constructed. And now the student dormitory, like a proper tour guide, Joseph pointed to the student dormitory right in front of them, even though they knew what it was. Dutifully, the children looked and nodded. Mr. Curtin became one of the richest men in the world, Joseph went on with a proud smile. And can you guess how he used his wealth? Doubtful, Jackson murmured. He built the institute, Renee offered. Jackson looked surprised. Exactly, said Joseph. A free school, as you know. Doesn't cost a dime to come here. All thanks to Mr. Curtin's generosity. He has nothing in return, mind you. Not even attention. Mr. Curtin is every bit as reclusive as he is generous. Never leaves the institute, never takes a vacation. Too much important work to do, he says, broadening the minds of our next generation. The executives led them across a rock garden onto the large central plaza, which lay fronted and flanked by the Institute's massive stone buildings. As they walked, Jackson identified the buildings in turn. Starting from your right, you see your dorm, of course. You remember your dorm, don't you? And just to the left of it, the one with the tower, is the Institute Control Building. It houses Mr. Curtin's office, the guard and recruiter quarters, and the executive suites. You'll never have reason to go in there unless Mr. Curtin calls you to his office, or unless you become executives yourself someday. Jackson looked at the children over and shook his head, as if he rather doubted that possibility. Anyway, he went on, next to the Institute Control Building, you'll see the cafeteria, right in front of us here, and then the classroom building. That building set off to the side, there is the best of health center, which is what we call the infirmary. In the building, away up on the path, is the gym. The gym is always open, except when it's closed. And there you have it. Those are all the Institute buildings. What about that one? Rennie said, pounding to a rooftop just visible over the classroom building. Jackson scowled. I was getting to that Renard. That's the helper's barracks. You know what barracks are, right? It's where the helpers live. Helpers? Do you not have eyes? Jackson scoffed. 
Haven't you seen the grown-ups in white uniforms scuffling about, sweeping up walkways and picking up trash and whatnot? Rennie nodded. He couldn't have known why they were called helpers, of course, but he chose not to point this out. The helpers do the maintenance, Joseph explained, and the cleaning, the lodging, the cooking. All the unimportant tasks, you know. Now come along, squirts, and don't drag your feet. There's still a lot to see inside. The executives bustled them into the classroom building, which had seemed large, large enough from the outside, but was perfectly enormous within. Brightly light corridors branched out from the entrance in all directions, with Constance struggling to keep up and looking very unhappy about it. The children were led down corridor after corridor. At last, they stopped at one that was lined on both sides with classroom doors. Now, there are a lot of... All, there are an awful lot of corridors in this building, said Jilson. And not just in this building, Jackson put in. Some connect to the helper's barracks in the cafeteria, which have their own corridors, obviously. Obviously, Jilson said. So the next thing you shrubs need to know is how to find your way around. Now don't fret. It seems confusing, but it isn't confusing. Which happens to be an important principle you'll learn here at the Institute. It isn't confusing, said Constance, who was turning round and round, looked clearly confused. Look beneath your feet, Jackson said. See that stripe of yellow tiles? Just keep to the corridors with yellow tiles on the floor, and you can't get lost. Obediently, the child looked, children looked at the floor. Rennie had noticed the yellow tiles, but hadn't thought anything of them. He assumed they were decorative. He must remember not to assume anything about this place. Joseph put a finger to her lips and drew the children over to peek through a window of one of the doors. A gangly executive stood in front of about 30 attentive young students, leading them in a memorization exercise. The free market must always be completely free. The free market must be controlled in certain cases. The free market must be free enough to control its freedom in certain cases. The free market must have enough control to free itself in certain cases. The free market... What on earth are they talking about? Sticky said. Oh, that's just the free market drill said Jackson. Very basic stuff. You'll pick it up in no time. Sounds like nonsense to me, said Constance. On a certain level, everything sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? Joseph said as they continued their tour. Precisely the kind of lesson you'll learn at the Institute. Take that word food, for example. Ask yourself, why do we call it that? It's an odd-sounding word, isn't it? Food. It could easily be considered nonsense, but in fact it's extremely important. It's the essential stuff of life. It still sounds like nonsense, Constance muttered, and now I'm hungry. It wasn't just this talk of food that made Constance mouth water, and the other children's too, for that matter, but the smell of food as well. They were being led into the cafeteria now, a huge bright room crowded with tables, much like any other cafeteria, except for the smells. Drifting in the air were what seemed to be a thousand delectable scents. Grilled hot dogs, hamburgers, and vegetables— Melted cheese, tomato sauce, garlic, sausage, fried fish, baked pies, cinnamon, and sugar, apple tarts, and on and on. Beyond the empty tables on the other side of the counter, they saw helpers scurrying about the kitchen, half hidden behind clouds of steam and grill smoke. Kate had her nose in the air like a bloodhound. It smells like a bakery, a pizzeria, and a cookout all at once. That's another great thing about the Institute, said Jackson. The helpers prepare wonderful meals. You can eat anything you want. And as much as you want, too. Just go up and tell them what you'd like. Don't be offended if they don't say anything. Helpers aren't supposed to talk to you unless they, you ask them a question. Pretty soon you don't even notice them. I remember when I was a student, I used to play tricks on them. Nothing they could do about it, you see, because no rules said I couldn't. But now I hardly pay attention to them, except to keep them in line. 
It sounds like there are no rules here at all, Sticky said. That's true, George, said Jocelyn, virtually none. In fact, you can wear whatever you want just as long as you have on trousers, shoes, and a shirt. You can bathe as often as you like, or not at all, provided you're clean every day in class. You can eat whatever meal, whatever and whenever you want, so long as it's during meal hours in the cafeteria. You're allowed to keep the lights on in your room as late as you wish until 10 o'clock each night, and you can go wherever you want around the Institute, so long as you keep to the paths and the yellow tile corridors. Actually, Rennie observed, those all sound like rules. Jackson rolled his icy blue eyes. This is your first day, so I don't expect you to know much, Renard, but this is one of the rules of life you'll learn at the Institute. Many things that sound like rules aren't actually rules, and it always it always sounds as if there are more rules than there really are. That sounds like two rules I'll learn, Rennie said. My point exactly. Now come along, everybody. We need to hurry. You're to join the new arrivals for Mr. Curtin's welcome speech. Constance, stop dawdling. You too, George. Hustle it up. Would you mind calling me Sticky? The boy asked, hustling it up. Is Sticky your real name? Asked Jackson. It's what everybody calls me, Sticky replied. But is it official? Is there an official document somewhere that declares Sticky to be your official name? Um, no, but... Well, if it isn't official, then it can't be real, now can it? Siggy just stared. Good boy, George, said Jackson, leading them back toward the classrooms.